Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Jason Bayer all about the importance of branding. He's the Marketing and Partnerships Manager at Crowdspring, which is an online design and branding platform that's helped over 65,000 businesses develop their brands with custom design and naming services. Jason's led brand reviews for hundreds of small businesses. He's an expert in finding the overlooked visual branding mistakes that hurt a company's growth. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Will. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you today because uh, I already knew about Crowdspring and and what you do there. And I specifically want to get your take on brand and the value of that in, uh, in, in marketing and in business. Before we do, just give us a quick rundown for our listeners, what, what Crowdspring does. Absolutely. So Crowdspring is a 15-year-old business. We've helped 65,000 businesses of all different sizes build their brand, build their custom uh, marketing assets and, and their visual assets. Think your logo and and uh, packaging for your product. And it's a very unique platform. It's, it's fun. Typically, when you're looking for design, you're working with one designer and you're trying to push them on creativity. Uh, with Crowdspring, you pay one affordable rate and you're working with dozens of different creatives from around the world all backed by a 100% money-back guarantee. And so you get to see your brand come to life in a variety of different settings, a variety of different uh, creatives, their styles and their backgrounds. And you can say, hey, I like this style or I don't like this style. And uh, it's designed for businesses without a lot of creative background, right? So it's great. We've got thousands of agencies that know how to give creative feedback. But if that's not your strength as a business owner or marketer, we've designed the platform around the ability just to to say what you like and see a lot of the designs come in. Yeah, no, and as the so as, as I suppose as the the name suggests, it's it's crowdsourced design services, right? Correct. Can you just pick one design then? Do you just pick a winner and and then pay your money for that? You can. I mean, in something like a logo project, you really only can have one logo. You can only have one identity for your company. But something like a T-shirt design or or, or maybe marketing assets like custom illustrations for your website, uh, you might be able to pick, you can pick multiple, right? And so each project is, is designed for the intellectual property for one design. Uh, but you can always either make an offer to the creative or we have the ability built in to purchase multiple designs. You know, the very existence of this platform what does that say about the state of branding design in 2023, do you think? It's critical, and it's been critical for a long time. What we realized 15 years ago was that the average business owner realized there was a challenge. They just couldn't afford the solution, right? The solution was an agency. The solution was to spend $6,000 to kind of look at their position in the market and, and try to design a brand identity for them. And then solutions like Upwork or, God forbid, Fiverr, where anybody can join the platform, right? And, and that, well, you know, they, they serve their purpose, you know. Uh, but when you talk about custom design, you really need to make sure that, that, that it's speaking directly to your brand. That it's not something generic, right? And so that's the low end of the spectrum. And we wanted to play right in the middle where we could go to a business owner and say, look, you don't have to have a lot of experience, but this is critical for today because there's just so much competition, right? How are you going to stand apart? I mean, this is what we're going to get into with branding and this is how it helps you stand apart, helps you speak to a specific audience 
that finds your product as a solution to their problem. That's what we're trying to convey with branding and brand identity. And uh, we kind of fit that that sweet spot in the middle. Before we get too far along, can we kind of talk about what a brand is and what brand identity is? That was really my next question for you. Yeah, I'd love you just to sort of set out those terms for the listeners, yeah. Yeah, it's helpful to start off with this because we typically use the word brand interchangeable with large company, you know, synonymous with, you know, a brand is something that's just large, right? So uh, McDonald's, Starbucks, uh, Nike, you know, these are brands, right? A brand has a very simple definition, right? It's every single interaction that somebody has with your business, Okay, we'll say it again. Every single interaction somebody has with your business. So a brand is your return policy. It's the quality of your material uh, for your physical product. It is uh, how fast you answer the phone or return phone calls and, and voicemails. It's uh, it, it's literally every single aspect, right? And brand identity is everything visual about your business. And so this is the logo, this is the marketing materials, this is the colors you choose to use, the font styles you use, the website layout. This is all the visuals, that's brand identity. So your brand identity is nestled under your brand. Your brand is every interaction. And when you think about a large global company, they're easy to use because we can, uh, no matter where we're at in the world, realize how they impact our lives. But somebody like Apple, somebody like Amazon, you have a certain level of uh, expectation for this company, right, when you use them. And that's, that's their brand you know, in practice, you know how quickly they're going to respond. It'd be very weird if you went to, you know, uh, Amazon's page and they had product photos that were blurry or that said, you know, product photo doesn't exist or something. You're like, wait a minute, you know, like, is this Amazon? You're checking the URL, right? Because you have a certain expectation for this brand. And that's what we want to build on a smaller level for ours. We, we want to build this expectation of you've come to the right spot as the prospect. This is the solution for the problem you've been seeking. It's, it's only for you. And Brands naturally turn off other people. You don't want to be something for everyone, right? So a brand should really hone in on their specific target audience. Let that target audience know, hey, we are for you. That naturally means we're not for somebody else, right? Some of the obvious ones are, you know, the affluent brands where they say we're not for somebody who's not willing to spend, you know, this much money on on our product. Uh, but then you have the the ones focused on a specific problem or solution. And you want to hone in on that so that people come there and say, wow, this isn't designed just for anyone. This is designed for me and my problem. Yeah, I mean it's like the old uh, the old saying goes: if you market into everyone, you market into no one. And I think that's a lot of marketers still struggle with that. You know, they worry about alienating and excluding people. But you know, I run workshops about this stuff, and I tell people like: if you're not alienating or excluding someone, there's probably something really wrong with your marketing because you're probably not resonating very strongly with anyone either. So I suppose it's talking about that, and that's probably one of the many things you have to educate your customers around because I'm sure a lot of the feedback is things like, yeah, but what about this persona? They might not like this logo. Um, and you're saying that it's more more important to connect very strongly with a smaller group of people uh, rather than just to be vanilla for everyone, right? Exactly. We built tools around this within the process because remember, we built 
the CrowdSpring platform for somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience. If you have experience giving creative feedback, you you know that's great. You you get uh, even better work because you're able to really work with the creatives. But we've designed it for this average you know business owner or marketer, and we built something called focus groups within the tool. And what focus groups are are great for is being able to get feedback on the design from your target audience, right? And so what we what we say is once you have a few designs that you like, because that's typically the biggest problem is that people will have three or four designs and they're like, I love all of these. I can't pick just one for my logo. And we say, okay, run the free focus group tool where you're sharing this and getting feedback. People are voting on specific designs that they like. They're giving feedback on specific elements that they might find uh, confusing or off-putting within your design. And I think this is important for us to realize as owners of brands, whether we're, we're the actual owner of the business or we're leading marketing at that organization, when we're owning that brand, we're typically not the customer, right? We, we, want, to, we want to separate ourselves from the ownership of this brand and say, okay, I might like this, but I'm not the customer. I need to go to the customers and say, okay, what do you think about this style? Does this resonate with you? How does it make you feel? Does it make you feel like it's going to solve your problem? Do you feel like, you know, there's there's adequate trust behind this? You know, when you see this and listen to the words that are coming back because they're going to explain you know, what you're trying to get to, right? You're trying to build trust. You're trying to communicate your specific, uh, unique value that you offer. And it's very difficult to do that as the owner of the brand, just thinking about the product. We really need to go to the customer and, and get their feedback. It's very hard to do that. I mean, you know, everybody's human and everybody has subjective feelings and opinions about the things that they see. And Oh, it's so hard to, to always become a robot and say, no, I can't let my own feelings about this dictate my decision. I need to put it in front of, um, you know, my customers or my target customers. Right. Okay. So just thinking down the line from that, like, how do you know when a brand has worked? How do you know when, you know, someone's like refresh their brand? At what point do they know whether that's worked or not? in the marketplace. So it's a it's a constant process. It's not something where we ever cross the finish line. Okay, we we have the brand and you know again going back to those global companies, you know, look at how many times the Apple logo has been reinvented, right? Look at how their styles change with on their website. It's a constant process. So we typically find that they they a custom logo is uh, is is kind of reimagined, kind of refreshed, you know, every maybe three to five to seven years, kind of in that range, kind of depends on what you're starting with, right? So if you're starting with something that is not very strong, not very custom, it's not speaking to an audience, you might want to start that process sooner. But if you have a strong logo, something like Apple, that process is is still fairly regular. And then we're always making little tweaks. We're making little tweaks to our language uh, on our website. You know, we're constantly running A-B tests. And when I say we, I mean, the collective, we all should be doing this, but I also mean CrowdSpring does this, right? So we we target our language on our website, we make little changes, and we run A-B tests and we see, is this resonating? Is this working? And let me give you a very specific example for CrowdSpring. We work with about 6,000 agencies. These are digital marketing agencies, creative agencies. They use CrowdSpring and offer this to their clients, both publicly and privately. And we thought, okay, we also are used by, you know, kind of our base 
customer is a small business owner, a small business marketer, right? Thousands of those, much more than the agencies. But we thought, okay, what if we could combine these two markets, right? They're very different. But what if we could use some, and I remember the exact language we chose to use in our hero image, but it was something to the effect of trusted by agencies. And our thought process internally was, okay, if we can communicate we're trusted by agencies, that's going to signal to agencies, hey, this is a platform that agencies use. But it's also going to signal to small business owners and marketers that if we're trusted by agencies, well, then they should trust us too, right? These are the people that they're typically going to spending thousands of dollars. And we ran an A-B test against our current uh, uh message at the time. And we found that this newest one vastly outperformed. We had, we had our small business owner, customer, small business marketer leaving the site. You know, they were not engaging because what, how they interpreted it was, oh, this is for agencies. It's not for me. Right. And so it's a good assumption. It's worth testing these assumptions because it could have worked. But we have to run these A-B tests. We have to run the test and, and test this assumption. And then regardless of who came up with that idea, you know, you can't, you can't own these ideas so closely that uh, at the expense of the, the business, they, they don't help you grow, right? And so what we want to do is, is have this kind of tenuous relationship with our ideas and what we're going to try. As you kind of alluded to, very difficult as marketers and business owners, we, we, we own kind of the brand and the product and we get excited for our ideas and how we're going to do it. It's very difficult to get feedback. But when that feedback came in, that our core audience was not resonating with this message, we quickly changed it, right? And so this is this process of an ongoing uh, brand adjustment. That was not the visual side. I mean, that it was visual. It was it was lettering, but it was you know kind of the, the core messaging we were trying to communicate. Uh, but but that's part of that brand, right? That we're always trying to test. Do we want to go a little deeper on on your question? There? I know. We took- yeah, no, that's 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 interesting. That I mean, you know, you talk about how brands take take someone like Apple. So their brand has evolved, as we say, over the years. But all the things that they've made us feel since the 1980s, certainly the first time I encountered them, through the 90s and the noughties, you know, they all, that that builds over time. It's not that that heritage gets lost the minute that they launch a new logo, right? The brand is bigger than the current logo. The brand is the entire relationship we've had, however, whatever the details of how it's looked. There's like a kind of a meme in the brand and marketing world and it's uh, a two-sided image. One is the Pepsi Cola uh, br- uh, logo and how that's changed uh, so many times. And, and on the other side is Coca-Cola, and it's like 1885, this, and then today it's basically the same. Um, and the, the lesson is apparently that, you know, great brands are eternal and, and sort of transcend time. But I think it's slightly misleading. There's, there's something not quite right about that point it's some sometimes that's fine for your brand to stay the same and sometimes it's fine for your brand to evolve right or what do you think about that absolutely no a lot of great points to unpack in in your statement right there you know the first is you know i want to back up just a little bit what that logo is is that logo shorthand right that logo is very simply 
trying to communicate very quickly because we process imagery thousands of times faster than text, right? So when you see the Coca-Cola logo, you see the Pepsi uh, logo, you should be able to understand what that brand is, you know, to the tune of somebody giving you a document or a novel, you know, on this brand, right? You're immediately thinking about all this. It's, it's visual shorthand. And so to your point of does it change means does the company change? Is the company pushing into a different direction, right? Or, you know, if, if, if Coca-Cola tomorrow decides to go into a, as a healthy market, <laughs> right? They're going to, they're going to admit, you know, like sugar is terrible for you and we're going into a different, different market. It would make sense for them to dramatically change that direction because they kind of want to break that shorthand that you have with their, you know, uh, soda fountains and nostalgia, and, you know, inventing Santa Claus, right? <laughs> and so you want, you, you want to have that break, but a lot of times that just happens by accident, right? So if you're not changing your direction, uh, and you start making huge changes, potentially like Pepsi, then you might be signaling that you're making some huge switch when really you're not, right? And a lot of the businesses, the listeners that we're listening to are not running, you know, Coca-Cola or mar- uh, marketing for Apple, right? So we're thinking about our own. The best advice to give is to, to do your best where you're at right now to create something custom, right? There is a lot of opportunity online to create something pretty. Okay. We've got tools like Canva and tools like logo generators and, and, and marketers are abusing the term AI, artificial intelligence by putting that, you know, on on the label of their products when really it's, it's just mashups of, 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 of art that already exists. Custom design should only speak to one audience, right? And so we want to create something custom to start with. And once you have that, then you can start to say, okay, you know, a couple of years from now, are we still in the same market? Was our assumption correct of who we're targeting? And if it is, maybe leave the logo by itself. But but if we were targeting, you know, if, if our company was, you know, just cabinets, you know, where we're create where you know we're we're creating cabinets and we're building cabinets, but now we've pushed into you know closets as well, right? Uh, that that might change kind of that that brand identity. I'm trying to give an example that's not quite as global and big as as the as the others. But one thing I want to mention before we move on, you, you made something very telling. You said that you know since the '80s, Apple has been telling us you know about their brand. This is very critical to branding because we can't force the customer to think of our brand in a certain way. We can only guide them. Right. So Apple can't tell you our products are beautifully designed and superior to all others. Right. They have to guide you to that realization on your own. Okay. Now they guide you with billions of dollars of marketing spend every year, you know, and beautiful products and and well made. But what's important about that is when, when we're running a business, when we're running marketing, we have to remember that we can't tell somebody something. We can only guide them and we guide them through these visuals. If, if our visual is sloppy or it's the wrong color, right? Colors have meaning. And so, you know, if we're trying to create peace and serenity, but we're using the color orange, that's not guiding them to that, end goal that we want right because you might well you might get a dino who owns a pizza store a pizza shop whatever you call them um and he really wants you to put in the logo oklahoma's best pizza right and he's like no it's got to be in the logo i want everyone to know it's oklahoma's best pizza and we're like yeah 
I, we, we should just say that in in the quality of our branding, you know, and I can imagine that's maybe a conversation that brand, branding designers have, right? That they're, they're trying to tell, be, I can imagine them trying to tell clients, we have to say it without saying it. We have to convey it. We don't have to spell it out. And like you say, if you convey things, then people, they arrive at that knowledge on their own. That kind of sticks with them more and it means more to them rather than having it shoved in their face, right? So, am I on the right track there? Oh, exactly. Because you've come to the realization on your own, wow, this is Oklahoma's best pizza, right? They didn't tell me to say that, right? I just came to that realization because, you know, of the environment they created, both in the digital and the physical and, and the actual product, that this is great. And so you've, you've helped guide them to that realization, but you're not, you're not telling them. We get this pushback all the time when people want to include a lot of information in their logo. I want to talk about every service I offer you know, and, and all my locations and how many happy customers. And, and that's not the place for the logo, right? The, the, where you see this run in the challenge is, you know, with social media avatars where, you know, the logo gets compressed down to a small size and you can't even, nothing is, is, uh, is able to be seen because there's just too much content trying to communicate. It's, it's easier to want to communicate more just up front. It's much harder to build the world's best pizza you know, through without actually saying it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, aren't you? And that's, I suppose that's one of the like digital challenges, uh, specifically digital challenges that a, a brand has to work at the size of like, you know, your little fingernail. You know, it, it's, 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 it's more crucial than ever to have a clear logo mark. Even when you look at like a YouTube video and the watermark is about 30% opaque in the bottom right, you kind of have to know what that brand is and you're seeing it half transparent at this size, right? So what are some of the very specifically digital considerations you have to make when, when creating a brand identity? Well, you're, you're making a great one here. This versatility, right, is what we would talk about it as. It should be able to show up as big as a billboard, right, and in that form of, of marketing or show up nicely on a postcard where you've got more real estate. But it's also should be able to show up very nicely and clearly and communicate well just on a, a small digital avatar on, on YouTube, right? So that versatility is very helpful. The colors that you choose, you should be able to use your logo in a monochrome color, right? So you should be able to use it in, you know, just a, just a black or just a, a white and different variations of that color. Uh, a lot of times logos that are not custom, they're not, they're not created with this in mind, uh, need all of their colors, right? If you change it to a monochrome, you potentially just lose the whole meaning of the logo, right? Because of how it was designed. So you want to design for this because it's important when you are, you don't know yet where your logo is going to end up, right? You don't know where it's going to be shown. And so you need to be able to have in your, in your, your creative back pocket, the ability to uh, make this logo look great anywhere and being able to design it in monochrome is huge. So versatility, monochrome, and, and then building, we talked about this a little bit, but, but building for timelessness, not necessarily that your company is going to be around for a hundred years, but if you don't, don't necessarily include all of your services in your logo, if you're going to potentially add or remove services in the very near future, right? So Apple, when you look at their core brand and their logo, they can continue offering phones. They could stop phones and it's not going to, to change their logo. They could offer virtual reality headsets under the same brand. They don't have to uh, modify their, their whole visual identity to support that. 
Yeah, no, it, it, it is versatile, yeah. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game to sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. Okay, just just trying to bring this down to the really practical level. If I was starting a business tomorrow and I was going to operate potentially physically and or online, what would be in my basic brand pack? So it actually starts with your name. Right. And so depending on where you're actually starting, and, and I mentioned that because we actually offer custom naming and, and uh, services. So for both company names and product names, and it starts here because that name is probably going to be a part of that logo, right? It's either going to be a word mark and a word mark is a stylized name that, that turns into a logo. This is CrowdSpring's logo is a word mark, uh, or it's going to be something that, that, uh, that, that represents that brand. And so it starts with the name. And so you want something that, that is speaking to your audience and, 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 and custom. We're also going to talk about, you know, within that kind of next step, and we're going to combine it here so we can talk about both. With both that core brand identity that you're trying to create and your company or product name, it starts with understanding who your audience is. If you don't know who you're trying to communicate to, it becomes very difficult to understand you know, what type of a name should I create? What type of a logo should I create? Because, you know, and we've made this very simple at CrowdSpring because we realize this is a very complicated question, right? And, and so we're trying to ask, you know, who's your, who's your competitor? How are you different from them, right? That kind of helps get to this question of, you know, who is my target audience? And then, you know, to the extent that you have thought about this, who is your target audience? What what resonates with them? What solutions do they currently have that they find inadequate, right? This is what we're trying to do because this matters in that core brand because we're trying to understand what color do we select, right? If we're, if we're targeting that affluent customer, you know, your, your blacks and your golds are going to be, you know, more, more, more common. If we're targeting more of a, you know, millennial generation or something fun or lighthearted, you might use something more like pastels and oranges. If you get those wrong, if you switch them, um, you don't have a business. <laughs> That's what it comes down to, right? And so no, nobody will, will purchase from you. Right. So, so in my initial brand pack, I've got a folder on my desktop and it's got a, a word mark potentially and or a logo. Um, it's got some audience research. Like I've got my audience personas, basically. We have a small number of personas who typify, you know, the, the people I'm going after. What else? What else is like the core? So I've got colors. Yeah, your colors. That's a great point. So your colors stem from that logo design. So if you're starting brand new, the logo can actually help influence the colors that you use on your site. Now, that doesn't mean every color that you use should be in your logo, right? CrowdSpring uses one color in our logo, but we have three colors within our, our brand palette. But that logo color helps to articulate what other colors you should have because they should all complement each other, right? And so we have a CTA color, a call to action color that's unique to CrowdSpring. This is on things like buttons throughout your site when you want somebody to take an action. And we have a, a different shade of blue that is kind of our background uh, to the site that complements the blue within the logo. It's, it's, um, 
it works nicely together. And so these three colors, you know, we know the color codes, right? This would be in your brand folder so that you can give this to a designer and say, okay, we're creating, you know, social media post. Here's our brand colors that we're creating. And that's the core, right? So you could kind of stop there, but now it depends on what your marketing is that you're doing, right? So if you're going into more digital and social media, you're going to be creating uh, content that matches this brand. And and now, as opposed to just font considerations and colors, now you're trying to think about the actual content itself. Is the content, do we use real people, real models, or do we use custom illustrations, right? Uh, do we, do we, communicate in a fun style or do we communicate with more professionalism and uh, you know do we have cheeky jokes or 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 is it more serious right these are some of these things that we start building into our brand package as we start thinking about more of our marketing activities we want to be able to go to our 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 marketing team or even to ourselves and think okay i'm creating this post here are my guidelines right we, we, we speak in a conversational tone. We use uh, custom illustrations to, to in, in our designs. And, and here's our colors that we're using. That gives me these creative rails to work from. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, okay, so this, is, this all sounds great. And so far, it's felt quite B2C, not only just because it's easier to talk about consumer brands, they're, they're handier examples. Are there any specific considerations we should be making when we're doing branding for B2B or is it essentially the same? I mean, it's essentially the same. It, it comes down to knowing the audience. It comes down to knowing, you know, kind of in a way, the difference is, is sometimes sometimes it's easier, right? Because a lot of times they'll do a very poor job in this in different industries, different different B2B styles, although the consumer products have their, their challenges as well. Sometimes it's easy to find your lane, you know, within B2B and find this this uh, this process. Sometimes it's easier understanding who the audience is because they literally have a job title, right? And so it's like I am selling to the head of HR for this product, you know. Whereas with consumer products, your personas typically look a little bit a uh, little bit more like you know uh, moms in their thirties. Uh, who want to get back to work in any industry, right? And they have two kids. That becomes, a, okay, how do I target this person? Whereas with the B2B product, sometimes it can be a little simpler, you know, finding the um, finding your target audience. And I mentioned that because target audiences are key to branding, right? Having these conversations directly with your target audience is going to impact your brand, but nothing is going to change in terms of, you know, creating versatile logos, making sure they're custom and making sure they're they're speaking to your audience. It strikes me that in B2B branding, there's more kind of, uh, what do you call it, a mimetic approach. There's more of a, a, a kind of within an industry, everyone copies each other or, or everyone follows similar standards and conventions, you know, in terms of design. Um, it seems so all kind of medical industry stuff always kind of looks very similar. A lot of like enterprise software stuff always looks quite similar. Is that, is that a good thing? Is it right that you look, you know, if you're going to be a CRM platform, you kind of look like one or should people be looking at ways to stand out and actually be different than their competitors in an industry? That's a great, that's a great question. You want to show that you you want to make a, a, a specific choice, right? So everybody should realize that this is kind of a problem. And the choice you have to make is, 
do I want to show that I at least belong in this industry, right? I'm supposed to be within, you know, the medical industry. I belong here. But finding ways to also stand out. And and so this is that delicate balance where, you know, the color blue and green is used regularly in banking and investment, right? And so when you're creating a new bank or an investment firm, you know, these are the colors that everybody uses, right? Now, it doesn't mean you have to copy everything. It doesn't mean you have to use the same imagery. Uh, I'm in the U.S. and and our law firms and our dental practices all use the same standard imagery. We have the, you know, scales of justice and we have a tooth, you know, I mean, that's kind of the standard. But they also have color choices that are similar as well. And so you can merge these two. You can say, look, I belong here. You know, I fix teeth, you know, as a, as a dentist. Uh, so you can incorporate that, but you want to make sure that there's a way to stand out. One thing that you would not necessarily want to do without a lot of thought is just to completely kind of reinvent the category if you're not going to put the time and money and the expertise behind it, right? So if you're creating a new bank and you use the color, you know, orange or pink, you know, you better have somebody behind that brand that can bring that um, that energy. You know, for example, imagine like, you know, Sir Richard Branson gets into a business like banking. It doesn't really matter what color he brings because he's bringing a personality, he's bringing a persona to that, to that brand. And so he could say, we're going to do the pink bank. And it doesn't really matter. He can actually say, look, I belong here in this industry, but we're doing something different. For the average business, we want to take the best of that industry so that we show that we belong, but find ways to stand out. And I know that's not a great, that's not a great answer, but that's what custom design is, is where we're really looking at this saying, okay, how can we be unique, but still show we fit in? No, I I agree with that. I think yeah, we'd all love to be kind of um, revolutionaries and, you know, d- redefine our genre. But look, if you're going to set up a coffee shop, it really helps if it looks like a coffee shop and the logo looks like a coffee shop. And if you want to chuckle a couple of coffee beans in there and incorporate them, like all well and good, because you're right, you need to look like you belong and it's legitimate. But at the same time, find an original take on that, I think. Um, you, you talk about elsewhere, you talk about how you're interested in finding these kind of overlooked visual branding mistakes that can hurt a company's bro- growth. And you've probably seen a lot of that. What, what are the most common mistakes people make in branding that you think really hurts that company's growth? We have a, we, we did this so often, we did it, we did it live with thousands of brands. Uh, so we actually have a, and, and we can, hopefully put this in the show notes, uh, where we have a free brand grader, where we'll actually do this custom for your brand. We provide a 10-page custom report, and it gives you a brand score uh, based on many different different factors. And it's custom. It's specific for your brand. This is where we can actually get, get right in there. But uh, it's a brand grader on CrowdSpring. One of the first ones that... Perfect. One of the first ones we find is trying to over-communicate within the logo. We've touched on this a little bit, you know, uh, where we're just trying to talk about too much within the logo and therefore we're not communicating anything. Uh, Another one is the wrong colors, right? Colors have meaning. We write about this a lot on CrowdSpring's blog, crowdspring.com forward slash blog, where we talk about what is the meaning of each color. And if you have colors in there that don't jive with your brand message, with your target audience, that's going to be immediately 
off-putting. What we're trying to do with the logo, assuming we're not Coca-Cola where we've got, you know, 100 years worth of, of, of uh, creativity and, and brand equity behind us, what we're trying to do is immediately build trust and immediately show that we are the solution for them, for their problem that they're seeking out. Because most people haven't heard of us, right? Most people were running businesses that even if they're successful, our target audience is learning about us for the very first time. And we're trying to hook them very quickly to say, you know, learn more, right? We're not trying to sell them through the logo immediately. We're just trying to say, you know, uh, uh, I'm trustworthy and this is the product that you should have. And so colors play a huge role in this. So do fonts. And so we see a mismatch where, you know, people just use the wrong use the wrong content in this. We've harped a lot on logos, but there's other aspects of your visual identity, specifically thinking about your website. And so, you know, little things on your website of, of things like um, that we see regularly where imagery doesn't line up. You know, you'll have a picture of a person and their head and it's just their torso, right? Their head's been cut off and their feet, you know, it's just, it's an awkward shot and it's working within a template for that, that website. And it just shows, you know, think you wouldn't think the biggest brands that you shop from would have a product like that. You shouldn't either. It's not building trust. Um, we see people trying to be something they're not. They're a small business, but they're trying to telegraph that they're using language like we and us and trying to feel more like a Fortune 500 type language and company. And that's the visual style that they're using is, you know, suit and tie and very corporate when they're really just a one person shop. And people are smart enough. Consumers are smart enough to realize that very quickly. And it's a lot, lot loss of trust, right? Because it's like, wait a minute, why are you trying to be bigger than you are? Why not just embrace that, you know, when you call the phone, you speak directly to the owner of this one person shop, right? What? So really lean on your smallness. Well, lean in whatever area I would say that you feel that is 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 strongest for you, right? And some people that will be a small team or, or a single person team, others, it's going to be a lot, a lot larger. Just be genuine, right? I think that's that's the approach that we're trying to use. Be genuine in all of your marketing. And you know, the final thing I would lead with is have a problem that you're solving and communicate that single problem, right? Don't try to say I'm something for everyone right? I solve this specific problem. There's so much money to be made. You know this better than me with the workshops you run. So much money to be made by having that niche, by having that focus, by saying, this is the audience I'm trying to attract and be bold and state that, you know, directly on, on your marketing materials and your website. When people ask you for great examples, what do you say? Like, what's your, what are your favorite brands? Who do you, who do you think's really nailing this stuff? The big brands are the are the easy ones because, as you've mentioned, we've grown up with them for decades. I see, at least in, in the U.S., I see a lot of newer brands start, you know, as I'm researching something for I just finished building a custom house and I'm getting in uh, to to working out and I've done an Ironman. And so I kind of kind of throw myself into these projects where you know, where I'll spend, you know, dozens of hours researching for the specific you know, hobby or task. And you start to find these little companies that mean absolutely nothing to you or to everybody else. But it's like, wow, this person is solving my problem, right? This is a unique approach. And so it's it's a lot of little examples where this is what I think is so valuable about building a brand is that they're not trying to communicate to everybody. They're not trying to be Apple. They're trying to say, look, you're building a home 
here's your problem, you know, at this current phase that you're researching, and I solve that problem. And it means absolutely nothing to anybody else. It might turn those other people off, but it means something to the consumer looking for that. And so I think it's, you know, having this kind of baseline for your readers about what to look for, I think it's kind of exciting because now you're out there in the wild and you're looking and you're shopping and you're saying, well, this person nailed it, you know, with their brand. It's very clean. You know, they built immediate trust with me. You know, I I understand the problem that they're solving. You start to see this uh, interaction happen a little bit more often. You talk about trust a lot. Um, And I think it's about, I think, you know, think about just from my own experience, when you you build a business from the ground up, you're instantly just trying to tell people that you're legitimate, you're not fly-by-night, you're not a charlatan. So, you know, in my my career, I've set up like a a digital ad agency, right? And that would be the biggest business I've I've grown. And, yeah, at the start, you're just trying to tell people that, you know, you're not going to run off with their money and that you're actually – you can do the job and you want to communicate that just when they see a logo or the name of the business. So you are trying to – inflate a little bit you're trying to look a bit bigger than you are because you think well we're going to be that big in a year anyway so we're kind of trying to you know dress 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 for the job we want as it were um i suppose it just feels like a lot of it's about building trust and i think legitimacy is one way of putting it is that right absolutely it's difficult to communicate this but we've all been in that scenario where you know, we're, we're thinking about purchasing a product and something just feels off, right? You just you just look at it and you think, I don't know, it just seems, it, it doesn't resonate. It doesn't, you're not even using words that large. You're just saying like, it doesn't doesn't look right, right? And, and what we're trying to say is that, you know, they could have a very, you know, trustworthy team behind this. But the thing that kills businesses, the things that kill these deals is that little bit of a stall where somebody's kind of excited to solve this problem, but they see you and they're like, ah, I don't know, right? And so, you know, that's why that's where things like customer reviews come from. Um, although with the advent of chat GPT-3, you know, customer reviews could be you know, could could be fake. <laughs> you know, everybody could now be writing their own customer reviews for their product in a style of of humans with 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 ChatGPT three. And so, you know, how else can we communicate trust if we're coming up to a, a an era where you know reviews don't mean as much anymore? We already kind of feel that way when we go on Amazon and we just assume most of the reviews are are purchased, right? And so, the design and the colors you choose to use really impacts that ability to build trust early on. Yeah. And to think about, you know, think about what you're, you're talking about where like, um, you know, you, you were talking about how you're building a house and you've, you know, using various companies. So I've been renovating a house as well. And so you you, you come up ag- across these small providers, one and two person businesses. And I have this reaction where when I come across a small business that's invested in themselves, i.e. they've got a brand, they've made some sort of effort. I think, well, they're, they're taking this stuff really seriously. They're spending time outside of like fixing people's plumbing to actually like build a brand. And they, they're in this for the long term. They're serious about this. Oh, it's a beautiful point. I'm really glad you brought that up. And when you take the inverse, think about the inverse of that. If you see a brand that has a lot of mistakes, that idea of, you know, showing a product photo, but, you know, the head is chopped off, 
you know, on, on the website, you can't see above, you know, it, it just looks off or, or things are blurry or things don't load. What does that tell you? It, it's like if you as the business owner or the marketer don't take pride in your site and you can't fix the things that I can see, you know, what's going to happen when the product breaks? You know, what's going what's gonna to be the customer service? You know, am I going to get this product on time? These are all the thoughts. And as you mentioned, there could be a very well-meaning person behind this. Uh, but it's telegraphing to the to the to the user that well, if you don't care about it, why should I? Much like if you do care about it, okay, you're taking it seriously. I should as well. Yeah, that's 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 how I feel about it for sure. Just tell me about the designers on CrowdSpring. Like, who are they, and how are they vetted? Where are they? Where are they from? You know. Great question. So it's a global team of, of creatives. If you went to CrowdSpring today and tried to join as a creative, you'd actually go on to a wait list. And this is by design. We open that wait list up maybe two or three times a year. Uh, and we do that because it's incredibly labor intensive because we have to vet every single person that joins the community. We've got thousands of creatives on the platform and they're vetted for these specific categories that they participate in. So just because you can design logos doesn't mean we allow you to name companies or design product packaging. It's a very specific skill set. You may have that skill set, but you need to prove that to us first. And so once you have uh, joined, once we've accepted you onto the platform, you get a reputation score. This follows you throughout the life uh, of your time on the platform. It goes up, it goes down. It's ranked on like uh, 80 different factors. And so we're looking at uh, your progression on the platform to become a great creative. Uh, you can, we also remove creatives uh, without a second thought. And so any violation for intellectual property or, or using stock photography is an immediate uh, removal. Uh, we find that this does not create a very um, strong platform for, for the audience. We want to make sure that we're providing a truly custom work. And, and all of our creatives know this going into this, that, that we're founded by an intellectual property attorney. So this is baked into our DNA. We're, we're, we're not messing around when we're talking about truly custom work. And uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a very well-vetted process. And then if you don't, going back to that trust, if you don't trust this process, uh, we have a 100% money back guarantee. And so you literally, and that covers credit card processing fees, it's everything. And so uh, you literally can get in and, and if you, uh, it's a trustless system. If you don't believe that we've actually vetted these creatives and built this system that we're talking about, that's, um, then, then we have this, we back it up with a guarantee. And you're not in business after 15 years offering a guarantee if if people aren't satisfied. No, true. Um, very good. Well, yeah, just one more question for you. What tips would you have for someone about to embark on a branding or indeed rebranding exercise? So we've talked a lot about the target audience, and sometimes that feels um, difficult to achieve, right? To, difficult to, to put into words. I think the best thing to do is if you're starting a brand new company or, or, or maybe you just joined a company in the role of, as a marketer and you're thinking about how can we make this company better, you want to look at what are the current solutions available. And, and I didn't specifically say what are your competitors, right? Because typically when we think competitors, we think of people doing the same thing we're doing, right? For starting a cleaning company, who are the other cleaning companies in the area? But the better way to think about this is how are people solving this problem? 
there are many different ways to solve a problem. Some of them are obvious, right? Some of them are direct competitors. Uh, Netflix's direct competitor is, you know, any number of streaming platforms that offer uh, movies and videos as well. But there's other ways to solve the core problem that somebody has is, is entertainment or boredom. And there's many different ways now to open up to how do I spend my time solving this problem, right? Including doing nothing. That is always a solution uh, to a problem is to not take action on the problem. And so when we're starting a brand new company, we, we do want to look at who are the direct competitors. We don't want to be so esoteric that we, you know, ignore the fact that, you know, we're offering a cleaning service in a specific area. You know, so we want to look at that target audience. We want to look at those target competitors in our area. We also want to think about other ways somebody could solve this problem. And we want to find out where we're at in this in this area how can we be a little different right don't jump right to price price can be a way you can be the lower provider or the highest provider most people don't think about that you can join a market and become the highest provider and that sends a trust signal that like wait a minute why are they charging more they must be offering more value and hopefully you are this this shouldn't be a a, a one-on-one course on you know, charlatans, right? We want to make sure that we're providing value and and and, and giving them. That's a good point. Pricing's a big part of brand because conversely, being being too cheap c- conveys low quality, right? You know, you're suggesting that there's some corners been cut or something. So yeah, no. So we've we've talked a little bit about about this kind of target audience and finding your place within uh, this audience, looking at how other people solve this challenge, right, that you're offering. And this could be this could be a direct way of solving the problem. Going back to the example of a cleaning company, there's other cleaning companies, you know, offering this this solution. Or it could be, you know, how are you going to overcome one solution, which is to not have your house cleaned, right? Or to do it yourself, right? That's a challenge you're trying to to overcome. And so one part of the market could be I'm not reaching out to people who already use a cleaning service, uh, I'm going to reach out to this untapped market of people who currently or have never used a cleaning service, right? And I'm going to promote my brand as kind of that affordable luxury of getting your house cleaned on a regular basis by somebody else, right? That's a unique brand. And it's a brand that focuses on a different audience, a different customer, right? The customer that is not taking action for the problem that you solve. So once you've identified kind of your place in the market, now you go to your your creative to create this visual design. And at Crowdsworth, we've made this very easy. We have a creative brief and we ask you some tried and true questions that we found over 15 years work really well. And so we're asking you once you know this information, okay, who are who's your audience? You know who who is going to purchase this? Be as detailed as you like. Uh, what who are your competitors? Right? What do you offer? You know what what about what you offer is different from what other people offer. These don't have to be huge responses. We can work with very little. And our creatives are used to this. They take these. You don't have to tell them, you know, I want to use the color blue or green or something like this. You can give that feedback if you want, if you have that creative background. Uh, but the creatives are then going to take that information, any good creative, not just on CrowdSpring. If you're if you're passing this off to your sister's cousin's best friend, uh, who's going to be doing your branding work for the company. Once you give them this information, they can take that and say, okay, you know, here is the style that we're thinking to match this audience because of all of these best practices that we as, as creatives know, 
you know, we know what color palettes go well to target you know, kind of this audience. Are there any obvious trends or things that are coming up down the road in 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 branding that we should be aware of? Major disruptions or emerging kind of um, trends? Yeah, per- personalization. You know, having a personalized brand, people like to feel that the brand is speaking directly to them, and so kind of like on a on a global level level for everybody to kind of see how this works. You know, Coca Cola a number of years ago started adding people's names to the cans, and you know, it's a generic name. It's shared by millions of people, but it feels more personal. It's meant for me. There's a collective uh, aspect to it. You know, having having the personalized, we, we get this a lot, at least in the U.S. with the, you know, it's kind of subscription services and things like this that are, are more tailored to uh, your specific wants and desires as a consumer, right? And so the more that you can do to personalize your brand and find those areas, maybe it's just within your packaging uh, or, or your service when you show up that you, you know, leave a handwritten card or have the person's name. These types of little personalization things are, are, are interesting. The other trend we're seeing is, uh, uh, is a group of, of business owners who are going the route of using a pretty logo as opposed to something that's functional. And so we're finding the rise of artificially generated, I'm using quotes for those who can't see, uh, logos where it's really just, you know, mashes, mashups of, of generic uh, imagery. And the problem with this is we're not, we're not creating the brand specifically for the business. We're just creating something that, that looks pretty, that looks generic, that speaks to that industry. So if you offer a dental practice, a generic logo has to include a form of a tooth because it can't get too creative in terms of how it communicates that brand. That While that's a trend, it's also a great opportunity because for those people who decide to invest you know, the 300 US dollars, which is which is very little to start your brand uh, with something like a custom CrowdSpring project, you're able to really stand out from from folks that are, are are taking kind of the lazy way of building their brand. Absolutely. I mean, yes, we want we want blandness to pl- proliferate so that we can stand out against it. Right. That would be great. Um, Look, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time, Jason. I feel like we've learned loads. Uh, one more thing to ask you. Where can people find you and connect with you online? Crowdspring.com. If you need to reach out to me directly, it's jason at crowdspring.com. Uh, but we also have our brand grader. It's completely free, 10-page custom report. It uh, doesn't matter if you uh, have been in business for a long time or just getting started. We've seen we've seen them all, so don't feel embarrassed <laughs> by where you're at. Uh, but take that feedback to be able to uh, help grow your business stronger. That's great. We will do that. I'm going to give it a whirl later for sure. Thanks again for your time, Jason. Appreciate it. All right. Sounds good, Will. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.